Hello, welcome to Reactive's Beyond the Byline podcast. So today I will take a minute from your time, dear listeners, to share my excitement with you because we're celebrating our 100th episode of the podcast and I am beyond grateful for each and every one of you who have been with us from the early days, patiently listening to our growth. If you remember how we started, then you can definitely tell the difference and the miles that we've traveled together to be where we are today. In these 100 episodes, I've done hundreds of interviews, I've had dozens of guests, and believe me when I say that each and every download, comment and review has motivated me to improve and bring you valuable content. So thank you all for the support and let's dive into our 100th episode and see magic happen. Everyone can see that it is inherently wrong that the plastic products that uh, we just use for uh, a couple of seconds and a couple of minutes ends up being in the environment and really harming wildlife in decades and, and sometimes even centuries. The current dynamics are wrong, the economics don't add up, single-use plastic is too cheap. Clearly the system is overflowing, so you need to close the tap, making sure that there doesn't come in a lot more plastic, there's enough plastic out there already. This week we are talking about the negotiations of the treaty to end global plastic pollution, what has been done, the expectations and what would a global legally binding plastic treaty mean in practice. We generate over 430 million tons of plastic each year, according to the United Nations Environment Programme. Surprisingly, around two-thirds of this amount consists of short-lived items that quickly turn into waste. Sadly, a significant portion of this plastic ends up in the ocean, posing a threat to marine life and even finding its way into our food chain. The Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development warns that global plastic waste is projected to nearly triple by 2060. Shockingly, less than one-fifth of this waste is recycled, while about half of it goes to landfills. To tackle this, a United Nations committee convened in Paris from the 29th of May until the 2nd of June to work on a groundbreaking treaty aiming at ending global plastic pollution. The committee, known as the Intergovernmental Negotiating Committee for Plastics, is responsible for developing the first international legally binding agreement on plastic pollution, with a specific focus on marine environments. This was the second meeting out of five scheduled to finalize the negotiations by the end of 2024. During the first meeting held in Uruguay six months ago, different countries expressed varying preferences regarding global mandates, national solutions, or a combination of both. The meeting in Paris attracted more than 2,000 participants, including representatives from governments and observers, hailing from nearly 200 countries. The treaty options for addressing plastic pollution can be simplified into two main approaches. One approach, supported by the High Ambition Coalition led by Norway and Rwanda, emphasizes human health and environmental protection. It includes limits on plastic production, restriction on certain chemicals used in plastics, and aims to end plastic pollution globally by 2040. This approach also focuses on restoring biodiversity and tackling climate change. 
the alternative approach favored by some plastic producing and oil and gas exporting countries such as the United States, Saudi Arabia and China has a narrower focus. It concentrates on tackling plastic waste and increasing recycling efforts. Proponents of this approach argue that national plans would allow governments to prioritize the most significant sources and types of plastic pollution. Many plastics and chemical companies also support this approach as it prioritizes recycling in a potential plastic waste treaty. So how serious is the plastics problem? Plastic pollution is um, one of the fastest growing uh, global environmental problems. It is indeed an accelerating uh, problem. Eric Lindebjerg is Global Plastics Policy Lead at World Wildlife Fund, WWF. Plastic production has uh, increased exponentially and continues to to increase and, and will continue to increase going forwards according to the business as usual estimates. That has led to, um, first of all, uh, nature almost uh, approaching a saturation point of plastics. While uh, some decades ago, uh, even if some plastics leaked into the environment, it was difficult to to notice. Now it is everywhere and it is causing severe damage uh, to ecosystems. We have uh, identified plastic pollution in all ecosystems uh, around the world. It is detected in the Arctic sea ice and the deepest depths of the ocean. Uh, and it is really now reaching a scale uh, where it has massive ecological impacts. It also has important human health uh, impacts, the largest being in many developing countries where open burning of plastics is causing uh, toxic air pollution, uh, open dumps, pollution of drinking water uh, as a result of, uh, of accumulation of plastic waste. Um, it's also a serious uh, human health concern. And increasingly, we're also seeing the effect on, uh, on uh, humans directly, either from, being, uh, from using plastics or uh, ingesting plastics uh, directly or through the animals that we are then eating. Why is it taking so long to find solutions and to witness proper action being taken? I think a major problem is uh, that current regulation um, in, in most countries of the world is really benefiting the status quo and a linear economy, an economy that is basically based on rapid increase in production and consumption of plastics and single use to a large degree uh, of those plastics products. We know that the solutions exist. There are lots of different uh, exciting alternative business models, and in particular around reuse, uh, that is perfectly possible to implement. This doesn't. This crisis doesn't really need any new technology, uh, technology development or or advanced uh, research. It's really often very simple solutions that are ready. Lots of startups, lots of uh, bigger businesses as well have the solutions ready. Um, sometimes it's even just going back to practices that worked for, for decades before they were replaced by, uh, by single-use plastics. So it is possible to change. 
But the problem really is that plastics is too cheap, too easy to use uh, for the industry, and the, the regulation is not there in place in order for those uh, alternative business models to, to really scale up. Although there are initiatives on local and governmental level, the most important obstacle to tackle plastic pollution is the fact that we use multiple kinds of plastics. Plastics is not just one type of material. There's actually so many different types of plastics and materials related to it. Wilmine Peters is CEO and founder of Serious Business, a company that aims to prevent plastic pollution. Plastics is not just the toys and the plastic items you see around you, like your phone, your laptop, but it's also packaging, it's also tires and paints, and it's in your clothing, and it's in many different applications. Uh, so it's quite hard to put them all in a one-size solution uh, box. You need different types of solutions to make sure that the plastics can actually have another use and another use, and maybe recycled at the end of life and then re reused again. So um, there's a lot of different types of solutions needed. And sometimes the best solution is not to use any uh, plastics in the first place because uh, you will lose the material uh, during use. So um, it's a different set of measures that are needed to make sure that um, we can keep using plastics in a vital way, not having a plastics leak into our environment and into our air, body, water, soil, uh, everything else. So. Um, I think that's where a lot of different um, uh, layers come in that each have a piece of the solution. So governments can play a role in determining uh, strict regulations. Businesses can play a role in changing the way they produce and consumers can play a role in the way they consume. Now, the European Commission has made a step towards the right path by introducing its packaging and packaging waste directive, which lays down measures to prevent the production of packaging waste and to promote reuse of packaging and recycling and other forms of recovering packaging waste. It also sets out the requirements that all packaging placed on the EU market must meet. These provisions are designed to reduce the disposal of packaging waste and to promote a more circular economy. For Eirik and Vilmine, this is an important initiative that sets the tone on what regulations countries can follow if it is reinforced properly. I think that can be a very important step forwards uh, if it's not uh, watered down, uh, of course, before it is finally adopted. I think that regulation is really an attempt to create a better environment for uh, uh, for reuse models, for alternative business model, and to create that market shift that is needed. I, I think in particular, it is uh, uh, potentially an important global step forward if it uh, includes uh, strong reuse targets for, for all sectors. Uh, and overall, I think it, it also uh, is important that it leads to a, a general reduction in uh, packaging waste. I think the system that we see today is very much based on uh, single use of packaging and an accumulation of plastic waste. That's uh, a big problem in Europe and that Europe also uh, exports to other countries. So uh, if the... Um, uh, if the Commission's regulations, uh, as as the the first draft uh, stands, if that is uh, implemented, I think it is a, a significant way forward. But uh, then it is really important that it is uh, not watered down and become uh, more of a symbolic uh, regulation than actually creating that uh, necessary 
market shift. I really like that initiative from the European Commission to bring together all the countries in Europe to at least assemble uh, one voice, to have one voice in saying, okay, how this is how in this region we would like to address the challenge of plastic pollution. I think through all the influence of especially industry players, uh, you see a bit of watering down of those commitments and uh, ambitions. Uh, but still, I think it's a very good set of measures that will create a clear view of what the European Union is interested in pushing for. So having more sustainable production, especially within the European Union. Of course, as every legislation, this one will be met with resistance from different countries or different multinational companies that want to preserve their interests. Mostly there's resistance if there's an other interests at stake, which are typically industry uh, in interests. Obviously, governments are supposed to speak on behalf of their population and be um, in the general interest uh, of the general public, play a role of being a custodian of the environment. Um, but at the same time, they want to make sure that people have keep having relevant jobs and they can create enough uh, welfare. It's just that um, I think the conventional way of doing business is no longer needed in the future. So we really have to shift to other types of um, producing in the future, where it's much more towards a circular economy. And I think this regulation from the European Commission is a really good start because um, it is a mandatory so it's, uh, it's regulation is not the directive where you can have national interpretations. No, this regulation stipulates what the member states need to do. And that will also create a level playing field in terms of policies. So uh, it will be easier through the European Union to have the same type of rules and the same type of doing business, which will make it easier for also for other countries to not lose any jobs, but to start moving into new types of jobs that will actually make sure that materials are being kept in a loop. You're listening to your Actives Beyond the Byline podcast. Subscribe to our podcast newsletter on youractive.com slash newsletters. And if you want to expand your knowledge in other fields, you can listen to our tech, agri-food and health podcast. And if you have any comments or ideas, you can drop a line at podcast at youractive.com. And you both have been following this for years and you have been working on it and you were both in Paris following the discussions. So what is new now? Yeah, so in Paris, uh, that was more a very international stage. So it was an international negotiation committee from all the United Nations, so 175 countries. And uh, that was even much broader than, so, uh, than Europe. Uh, and I think it is unique is that countries come together and to try to create um, a global mandatory framework where especially international companies will have the same set of rules everywhere. And there's no um, risk of pushing countries, uh, companies in a specific country where there's less legislation. No, the rules will all be the same. And this will also enable investments in yeah, better technologies and better systems to make sure that the plastic materials can stay in the loop. In Paris, we really saw a huge uh, wave of countries calling for specific binding regulations at the global level. Uh, it was a clear majority of the countries uh, in the negotiation room that actually called for, uh, called for very specific regulations uh, on, for example, uh, phasing out and banning certain types of the most high risk and, and harmful 
plastic products. Uh, we saw a call for global uh, product design requirements um, and also uh, calls for for minimum standards uh, on on waste and, and recycling and collection uh, and a very strong call from developing countries around uh, creating a, a financial mechanism as part of the treaty to really support implementation in all countries so there is a strong political will to uh, push this through and create a, a quite historic uh, global environmental agreement. Uh, and that was the, the positive message, I think, from, from the Paris uh, negotiations. For Eirik, the goal of this treaty would be to regulate plastics in a global scale and all countries would follow the same rules. I uh, hope that governments really take this once-in-a-generation opportunity to create a, a global joint approach on uh, plastic pollution and that we will get a treaty that uh, uh, really regulates plastics at the global scale, creates a minimum standard that uh, uh, producers and consumers in all parts of the world will, uh, will need to abide by and that will also benefit from that we will get a, a global plastics economy where many of the most uh, harmful uses uh, are are not there anymore, uh, being replaced by reuse systems or, or alternative business models. Um, I think we can get the situation where uh, it is uh, where a product produced in one country can actually be uh, managed, uh, reused, or or recycled and taken care of in in the country where it's exported to, unlike the situation today. So we'll get that common standard uh, globally uh, for plastics, and that would hopefully lead to a, a, a proper reduction of the global consumption, in particular of single-use plastics and packaging, uh, so that we um, we don't see these. Uh, mountains of plastics uh, waste accumulating both in the environment and uh, uh, especially in uh, in urban areas in the developing world. So I think it's possible and I think it will be a hard fight. I think uh, uh, the big support uh, for an ambitious treaty in Paris is a very good starting point. The treaty negotiations are expected to and by uh, end of 2024, there will still be three negotiation uh, meetings in, in Kenya, Canada and the Republic of Korea. And uh, it will be, <laughs> I think, a very uh, hard fight in order to achieve. I think all types of mobilization of uh, public uh, pressure on these negotiations will be needed. Uh, in order to uh, achieve uh, a, a meaningful outcome that can really transform the plastics uh, economy at a global scale. While for Vilmine, voluntarily measures are not enough. So to have results, we need strict rules and legislation to tackle the issue. If you just do it based on voluntary measures, uh, you'll get what we have had now. So uh, industry has not proven to be able to regulate itself quite well. I mean, of all the plastics that were put out, in the world, uh, only 9% was got recycled and most of that was even downcycled, so into construction material. Uh, so effective recycling was only 2% of all the plastics that were out there ever. And I think that's the wrong way to go. So you really need to have strict rules and legislation 
to um, make sure that companies will all uh, start abiding by the new rules. And um, I think that there's a lot of promise in this in the future. If, if you see, there's a mom, um, at the moment, there's three major crises going on. Obviously, we have the climate crisis, biodiversity crisis, and the plastic pollution crisis. And um, this, in general, people around the world are demanding action from their governments. They can see plastics ending up everywhere, not just in the air and the water and the soil, but also in their bodies. And it's creating detrimental effects in terms of health issues. So, uh, and this is just beginning. So I think there's a clear and urgent need for more action and less voluntary measures. And the UN Treaty on Plastics has the potential to be that globally binding instrument. So happy to be involved and try to see uh, how companies can get involved because at least a lot of countries are already quite uh, engaged and seeing the potential and the need for upstream measures to prevent plastic pollution by influencing the way plastic is produced. But not all is lost. According to Eric, there are many positive developments in local and international scale and from all corners of our earth by promoting the use of reused plastics. I think there are uh, a lot of, uh, for example, reuse systems uh, being put in place. I think the uh, preparations for the Paris Olympics being uh, based largely on reuse, for example, is a Uh, is a good example. I think we see a lot of initiatives uh, at the the local scale around reducing packaging, uh, uh, reusable packaging uh, in in big events or in in stores and supermarkets. We see a lot of promising regulation happening, uh, not only in the European Union, but we've seen, for example, Rwanda being leading on uh, banning certain types of single-use plastics and plastics bags. The same has Kenya. Bangladesh was one of the first countries to, to ban plastic bags. Um, so I think there, there, there is a lot of opportunity there. The, the problem is that it hasn't yet come to the necessary scale and it hasn't happened in a harmonized way. And that's really where this global treaty can, can play that uh, accelerating force that is needed. WWF has started its fight against the use of plastic decades ago. Today, they've built a network of cities and countries that aim to eliminate the leakage of plastic into nature by 2030. We are working um, to a large extent at the city level, in um, in particular in Southeast Asia, but we have an initiative called uh, Plastic Smart Cities, um, where we collaborate with uh, a lot of local organizations in the in the countries where we work. Uh, also with several uh, global organizations as as well to bring knowledge into that, uh, where we built a network of uh, uh, cities worldwide that is uh, piloting uh, innovative solutions at the city level, sometimes uh, also neighborhood level. Uh, Then we're working with uh, businesses around um, monitoring of their uh, uh, their plastics uh, uh, ambitions and, and promises to uh, uh, reduce uh, use of plastics, uh, for example. Uh, and we're working on global legislation and national legislation in in many countries. And uh, we have now at the global level particularly engaged uh, in the uh, treaty negotiations where we are collaborating 
with an increasing number of uh, uh, both civil society organizations. I think we, we've seen uh, several hundreds, uh, as much as a, a thousand organizations that are, are joining different initiatives leading up to these negotiations. Um, and we have worked with businesses that really see a need for putting in place stronger regulation globally and that actively calls for their own uh, uh, sector to be better regulated. And adding to that, serious business is helping companies to turn to reuse plastics and to introduce the closed-loop recycling. Serious business is more like a game changer. We advise companies on how they use plastics and support them in their implementation. So really help major users of plastic to move away from virgin plastic, depending on hard data, choosing for a different type of material or no material at all. We help them to switch to reuse. And thirdly, we help to set up uh, closed loop or even open loop recycling. So we really make sure that the plastic can stay in a closed loop. And those kind of initiatives are very specific in its kind because it needs uh, experience on uh, material design. It needs uh, experience on, on, on design engineering, um, business modeling, uh, analysis work. But really, that cost element is also quite essential. So how do you get to viable reuse systems, for instance? When is it economically interesting to set up a closed-loop recycling if there's nothing else being provided, if there's no infrastructure? So how can you set it up and how can you align with different industry players? And this is what serious business is helping to facilitate and helping to implement uh, together with major companies from around the world. So what can we do better on atomic level, collective level and on policy level? The current dynamics are wrong. The economics don't add up. Single-use plastic is too cheap. So that also means that there's um, heavily subsidized, <laughs> there's heavily subsidies on the, the use on, on the crude oil and also so on, on the production of virgin plastics. Um, we see there needs to be a cap on plastic, virgin plastic production, uh, which will help because now clearly the system is overflowing. So you need to close the tap making sure that there doesn't come in a lot more plastic. There's enough plastic out there already. For some applications, you need high-quality plastics, but for most of them where plastics is used right now, you don't. So you can move to other types of plastic, either recycled content or maybe a bio-based or other materials. So there's a lot of options out there. So we need to cap plastic production uh, and start reducing the amount of plastic is being used in production altogether. And I think you need economic instruments for that. So also moving more to true pricing. So really uh, that the price of a material reflects all the externalized costs that comes with it. Because now, for instance, plastic is really cheap, but all the costs that are involved with dealing with it at the end of life are not incorporated in the price. This is a, a real problem because it, um, it's uh, creating a, a big issue in the way plastics are being used. You see with the value of metals that they're really being treasured and you're seeing more and more move towards urban mining. Uh, the same goes for, for uh, we are living in a finite world with finite resources. We need to take care that we can keep our values, uh, the, keep the material value high so they can be used again and again. I think that uh, on plastic pollution, change is really possible. It is an area where uh, there are a lot of uh, interesting opportunities going forwards, if only uh, the uh, politicians and large companies can uh, make that transition and make that change. I think we've seen a huge 
uh, growth in public demands around plastic pollution. It's really something that uh, everyone cares about and everyone can see that it is inherently wrong that uh, plastic products that uh, we just use for uh, a couple of seconds and a couple of minutes ends up being in the environment and really harming wildlife in uh, in decades and, and sometimes even centuries. It is a completely unsustainable uh, model and most people realize that. Uh, and I think that public pressure is really what can uh, what can drive change. Thank you very much. I am Evi Kiori and this was your Activist Beyond the Byline podcast. Visit Reactive to stay on top of the latest news. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, you can do so on your favorite podcasting app. This episode was produced by myself with the help of Annie Tubbs. Thank you for listening and until next week.